like to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Psalm 107, let's begin by reading the first verse, and then we'll pray. Psalm 107, 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truths in your word. We, uh, I, I, Lord, I don't know anybody else like you that has that much patience, that much mercy, that much grace to give, but Lord, I'm thankful that you are like this, that your character is like this, that your mercy endures forever, that you are good. And Lord, I don't know, I, even in my own life, I don't know why there, were, there was a period of time when I wasn't interested in, in who you are and, and what you wanted to do in my life. I don't know. Lord, but I, but I thank you that you will do what it takes in every heart, in every life, to really bring us to the end of ourselves, really to bring us to a place where our hearts, instead of being hardened, are broken so that you can give us new hearts. And Lord, only you can do it. Religion can't do it. Coming to church can't do it. Trying to be good can't do it. But you can do it. And so, Lord, we know that's why we see in this psalm, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We have a lot to be talking about and a lot to be praising you for. Lord, uh, I just pray today that the Holy Spirit would do the, the preaching and that, Lord, we'd be glad to hear from you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The title of today's message is Praise the Lord for His Goodness. Praise the Lord for His Goodness. Um, the goodness of God and the wonderful works of God are repeating patterns all through this psalm. In fact, there's a, there's a few things that uh, cycle through. Now, by the way, we're not going to go through this whole psalm. Some of you are doing the math and saying, 43 verses, we're not, <laughs> we're not going to get that far. We might make it to verse 32, though, uh, but we're not going to make it all the way through. Um, but there are some interesting repeating patterns. One of the things that we see over and over again in this psalm is man's need for deliverance. We see that. And right on the heels of that, we're going to see over and over again God's provision of deliverance. Let's quickly just look at some of those as we get started. Man's need. Go to verse 6. Go to verse 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. Go to verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. Verse 19. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. Seeing a pattern here. Verse 28, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. You know, we don't like to be in trouble. But if you find yourself there, it'd be a good idea to cry unto the Lord. It'd be a great idea to cry unto the Lord before you get there, actually. And he's been trying to get uh, some people's attention before they end up in that trouble spot. But I'll tell you, God sometimes allows a trouble spot, so we'll do exactly this. Because we need him. And we don't need to think that we can live our lives in our own strength. We need to come to the end of our strength and cry unto him. And sometimes it takes trouble for us to figure that out. Sometimes trouble is good for us in, in that sense. Our, our difficult circumstances are good for us because why? We cry out. So you see man's need in those verses. You know what else you see in every one of those verses? God's provision. Go back to verse 6 again, around the middle of that verse. What does it say? And he delivered them. Verse 13, and he saved them. Verse 19, and he saveth them. Verse 28, and he bringeth them out of their 
distresses. You see that repeating pattern? One more thing I'll point out that comes up in this psalm regularly is the appropriate response when that happens. I have a desperate need. I cry out to God. He delivers me. What's the appropriate response? Praise. Uh, years ago, I heard um, talking about prayer and praise and, and our tendencies in these things is that we have a tendency to spend a lot of time in prayer, and by that I mean petition. God, help me. God, I need this. God, please do this. But we don't spend a lot of time in praise. You know, the whole point of tonight's getting together is to have that overflowing of praise, is to have a gospel sing where we can just praise God. Praise God. I mean, why do you think that, what, what, is, the, what is the biggest, lengthiest book in your Bible? What book is that? Yeah, it's a book we're in right now, and it's a book that's filled with singing. And it, I get the impression the Christian life ought to be an overflow of that, too. So the appropriate response, then, we see that in here as well each time. Go to verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Verse 15. It says, oh, that men would praise the Lord. Verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. And also verse 31. Oh, that men would praise Amen. Praise the Lord. So those needing deliverance here, one of the reasons it's a repeating theme is there's four different groups we're dealing with. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go quickly today through those four different groups and see what, what need each group had. And maybe you'll be able to identify with one or more of these groups. Maybe you say, oh yeah, I remember when I was there. Or you might say today, oh, I am there now. What can you do? You can do what they did. And we'll see that as we go through. You and I should be able to identify with the groups in here. Group number one, group number one will refer to as the wanderers. The wanderers. Go back to verse two. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. These are redeemed people. These are people that know God. Whom he, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Now, you know who he's talking about, right? The Jews in Moses' day, they had been delivered from Egyptian bondage. They were headed towards the promised land. They were off to a good start. Um, they, they started out, you know where they started out? After they got across that Red Sea, they started out in the will of God. They started out walking along the path that God had for them. That's how they started out, but they quickly lost their way, didn't they? They quickly lost their way, and from that point on, they were repeatedly off track. They got distracted, delayed, discouraged. They wandered. They wasted years of their lives. How many of you as Christians can identify with wasted years? They wasted years of their lives, missed opportunities, lost a huge portion of their, of their lifetimes that they could have uh, been serving God with that. And they could, have spending, they could have been spending that time in the promised land. All that time, but they were in the wilderness for, for many years. And the promised land represents all the will of God. It took them a long time to get there, didn't it? And, and some of, sometimes we as Christians, it takes us a long time to get to the very center of God's will. Why aren't we interested in that? Why does it take us so long? Someone here today, you might be on that wandering path. You might be wandering away. You might be dabbling in that which you ought not. You might be going down the wrong road. As a believer, as a redeemed Christian... You might not be walking the way that you know God would have you to walk according to his revealed word, his revealed will. You're off track. I don't know if you recall that this happened in the life of Elijah. We think of Elijah's great victories. Um, I want you to notice that 
in, in your life, and you see it in the Bible over and over again, but probably in your life as a Christian, right on the heels of a great spiritual victory, there's a, there's a test, there's a challenge, there's a difficulty. Almost always. And it happened to Elijah, remember? God used him to expose the prophets of Baal, that they were false prophets, that Baal was a false god. And not soon after that, now he had gone up against hundreds of these false prophets, hundreds. And right after that, Jezebel, one woman, scared him to death. <laughs> Elijah, what's wrong with you? You just, you just went toe-to-toe. Now, it was God that, that fought the battle, I understand that. But he faced hundreds of false prophets, and now he's running from one woman. He's running from Jezebel, and he was hundreds of miles off track. Remember that? He ran away, and we know he was off track. We know he was out of the will of God for a number of reasons, but one reason is his heart attitude. He said, oh, it's better for me to die than to live. That's what he said. I'm done. No, that's not the will of God. God's not done with you. God has things for you to do, Elijah. And do you remember what the Holy Spirit said to him? When, you know, the still small voice, that's where we get that phrase from, the still small voice. You remember what God said to Elijah, the first thing he said now, when he met him hundreds of miles away, running from Jezebel. Remember what God said? God said, um, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> what are you doing here? And maybe there's somebody in here today that God would say that to you. What are you doing here? Not here in church, but, here, you know, the, the wandering... <laughs> Good that you're here, but the wandering in your heart and in your life and the decisions you're making outside these walls, what are you doing there? Get back on track. Get back on track. Others are watching, and they're going to stumble because they're watching you, they're watching me. And if we're not walking close to Christ, what are we doing? And what kind of witness are we really? Well, if that's you, if you find yourself kind of like Elijah or like the folks mentioned here in this passage, what can you do? It's really easy. You can do what they did, right? Verse 6, go to verse 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. They got in. Now, we could say the next generation got in, right? Talking about the Jews in Moses' day, the next generation. And Joshua and Caleb from the, the, that uh, previous generation, they got in. But what does our next generation need to see in us? We have a next generation coming up, don't we? And what is it that they need to see in us? They need to see verse 8. Look at verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Amen. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. They need to see that in our lives. And let me tell you something. Even if our circumstances are not going very well, in fact, especially when things are not going well, the next generation needs to see, oh, I have a God that's greater than my circumstances. Oh, you got, yeah, this is hard, and I wouldn't choose this, and I wouldn't want to go through this, but I am, and God is sovereign, so he's allowing me to go through this for a reason, and it might be so that you can see that Christ is greater than my circumstances. Not so you can see how good of a job I can do in a trial, but so you can see that God never leaves me as his child. That's what the next generation needs to see. Group one are the wanderers. Christian, don't be a wanderer. Find the will of God and walk in it. And where is the will of God? Well, it's very simple. Get as close as you can to Christ. Walk next to him. You won't miss it. You won't miss the will of God. The next group we're going to come to now is group number two, the rebellious. Group number two, the rebellious. We left off at verse 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Why? Why? Because they rebelled. 
Rebelled against who and what? Because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Now, it's going to be painfully obvious with three out of the four of these groups we're going to look at today, three out of the four groups, they brought this difficulty upon themselves, right? Through their own bad decisions, they brought the difficulty upon themselves. And let me tell you something, the foundation of all bad decisions, the foundation of that is right here in verse 11. What is it? The foundation of all poor decisions, all bad decisions, is rebelling against the words of God. That's it. Having a low view of his counsel. What happened to them when they did that, when they rebelled? They were rebellious. What happened to them? Well, uh, they're afflicted and they're brought low. And why did God do that to them? Why did he let them go through that? Why did he send some of that their way? Because that's what they needed. Now, the irony of this is they are afflicted. Why? Because God loves them. Say, really? He put them through affliction because he loves them. That doesn't, that doesn't sound, well, yeah, it's exactly what they needed because in that affliction, they realized they were going really fast down the wrong road. And that road leads to hell. It leads to eternal destruction. And God said, I'm not, I don't want you to keep going that way. I want you to turn. I want you to repent. I want you to be redeemed. So God brought that affliction into their lives. Why? Because he loves them. And if you're going through affliction right now, you might be in here today, you don't know God. You're not in that redeemed crowd we talked about earlier. You don't even know God. You don't have Christ. But you can. You can have him today. But you might have been rebellious. And, oh, I don't need that. Maybe later, but not now. I don't need that. That's, that's re being rebellious against the gospel that you know you need. And God may have brought difficulty into your life for that very reason that you would, I've heard it said this way, what can you do when you're on a hospital bed? Can't do much. But what can you do? You can look up, right? About all you can do sometimes in a hospital bed, you can look up. God might, God, I, I know people in my family, God put on a hospital bed, and after that experience, they got saved because God brought them to the end of themselves. The classic example of this is King Manasseh. Amen? King Manasseh, 2 Kings 21 and 2 Chronicles 33. In fact, I want you to turn to one of those. Let's go to the 2 Chronicles 33. Because I want to see King Manasseh in living color. I want you to see an example of a very wicked king, a very rebellious king, and what happened as a result of that in his life. Second Chronicles 33. Second Chronicles 33. I want to pick up it. We'll read verses 9 through 13. So Manasseh, verse 9, so Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Some of the things Manasseh did, he um, encouraged the worship of false gods. And in that worship, in those worship ceremonies, he would take his own children and encourage others to do the same. And you know what they would do with those children? They would throw them into the fire as a sacrifice to these idols, to these demonic false gods. Manasseh, a king in Israel, a king who had access to the word of God, but was rebellious. He was rebelling against the word of God. That's what he did. Verse 10, and the Lord spake to Manasseh. Notice the, the long-suffering patience and grace and mercy of God. I, you know, at this point, I don't know if I'd be doing a lot of talking to Manasseh. I'd want to kind of, let's step outside Manasseh. 
and uh, let, let's settle us outside, that kind of thing. You know, the Lord sp- spake to me. The Lord is so patient with us, isn't he? Amen. I want to tell you something. The Lord loved and loves Manasseh, even though he went down this road. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them, here it is, here's that affliction, here's that bringing low, here's that bringing to the end of self. The Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And what did he do there? Something he may never have done if he was just remaining in his comfort zone, doing his thing, rebelling against God. But now he's going through this. Now what did he do? Verse 12, and when he was in affliction... He besought the Lord. See, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, folks. When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him. God heard his prayer. That's how, how, how low down can and will the grace of God reach. It reached Manasseh, and it can reach you. You know, I've met people that thought they were beyond the reach of God's grace. Oh, I've done so many. You don't know all the things I've done. That's right. I don't know all the things you've done, but God knows. And I can show you a list of things that Manasseh did. You probably haven't done a lot of these things. God saved Manasseh. God can save you. No one is outside of the grip of grace, the reach of God's grace and mercy. It says he prayed unto him, verse 13, and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. And we don't have time to look at it, but there was a mini revival that broke out and and Manasseh kind of cleaned house. And uh, you can read about that later in uh, in 2 Chronicles 33. But I want to take you back now to Psalm 107. Manasseh is a good example of someone who's rebellious, was broken by God, and was saved. No one's beyond God's grace. We've seen the wanderers. We've seen the rebellious. Two more groups. Group number three, the foolish. Um, And in fact, before I go to that group, I want to read. I don't think we finished this section on um, the rebellious. Let's let's look at verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Sounds a lot like Manasseh's experience. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. So that's what he'll do for the rebellious that repents and turns to him. The wanderers are rebellious, now the foolish. The foolish. Go to verse 17. Fools. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. If you read the book of Proverbs, some of you do that proverb a day, and I highly recommend that. That's, that's good. That's healthy, getting that wisdom in every day. But if you, you'll, you'll learn a lot about fools, right? The contrast, the wise and the foolish. And pro, the book of Proverbs, a lot of times, um, gives you the impression that the fool, there's not much help for that person, that they're almost beyond help. You, you read about that in Proverbs, and you get the impression, wow, the fool has really gone way, way, way apart from God. But I say almost, almost no help for the fool. Because as we just said a moment ago, no one is too far gone that God can't rescue them, that God can't save them, and God wants to. 
Amen? Whosoever will may come. He didn't say, whosoever, way, may, uh, whosoever will may come except if you've done this or except if you're a fool. Uh, he didn't say that. Whosoever will may come. And I would ask you, have you ever been foolish? I know I have. You may be going through a period in your life right now where you're making foolish decisions right now. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. What can you do? Well, we're going to see that pattern again. What can you do? Verse 19. Then they cry. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions, what they had brought upon themselves. Now, a good example of this um, that comes to my mind, the two thieves on the two crosses on either side of Jesus. Remember, they had lived very foolishly. Rather than uh, contributing to society and just getting a job and doing something productive, they just thought, well, I'll just steal from you. You know, I'll just be a thief and beat you up and take what you have. Very foolish occupational choice. But they did that, and especially a foolish time in human history to do that in, a, in, a, in that place where they're going to put you on the cross for it. Jesus was innocent, but these two guys were guilty, these thieves, and they continued that foolishness all the way. They were hanging right next to Jesus on either side, and they railed on him for a while. Foolish. They both started out foolish, and one remained foolish, but one responded with what we saw there in verse 19, crying unto the Lord. He looked over at Jesus at some point and he just realized, no, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is who he says he is. Lord, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And Jesus says, verily, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. That thief repented from his foolishness and turned to the Savior. And we all can. Go to verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. I love that song that uh, Brother Bobby sings sometime for us, I Can Go In. I Can Go In. And you, that, that person who's right there outside of the gates and he's trying to process what's going on. And um, later on in the song, there's a group of especially wicked sinners. And who is leading that group? The thief that we just talked about. He's leading that group in, and that man at the gate, he says, I can go in with them. <laughs> I, can, I, you know, I have what they have. I can go in with them. I've been forgiven of my sins. And uh, that thief who, who was on the cross, who, who got saved before he died, he led them all. That's how the song goes. I, I love that, that picture of God's grace in that song. Amen. So the last group we'll consider this morning, the last group this morning is the helpless. Group number four, the helpless. And um, we'll pick up where we left off. Verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths, their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits' end. We have some Navy people in here. I'm, uh, I was Navy as well, and we had some interesting experiences on the sea. Um, when we came out of uh, a dry dock period, they decided, hey, I think, I think what they do is you come out of the refurbishing period in the dry dock, I was on an aircraft carrier, 
and they go full throttle into the ocean to see what they can break. You know, <laughs> say, well, let's make sure everything works right. So what do we do? Just go full throttle. And they would go full throttle. Now, this is an aircraft carrier, which usually it feels about like this. You don't really, am I really on the ocean? I mean, it, it's, not, it's, it's not choppy or anything like that. But they decided to go full throttle, and they said, all right, now while you're going full throttle, we, we just got out of the yards, we just had a lot of things worked on, go full throttle, and I want you to turn it as quickly as you can, as sharp as you can, like this. <laughs> and so the aircraft carrier is going like this, and they wait, I think they, I think this was, I think they were having fun with this, because they waited till we were laying in our bunks and all that, and you can imagine how you're on the floor now and, and all that. They did some high-speed turns, and that, that was, for me, the most interesting experience on, on the ocean uh, that I've ever had. I've never been through hurricanes and things like that on, on the rough seas, and some uh, sailors here could probably tell you about that, and they've been on smaller ships where you're really feeling that, where you're going like, like it's describing here, up and down, and all of that. But um, if you're in a violent storm on the rough seas, you're pretty helpless. And I don't care how experienced you are. I don't care how many years uh, uh, you, know, you have as a sailor. If the sea is rough and it's feeling like the ship can't take it, you're pretty helpless, no matter what your experience base is. You're pretty helpless. You're in the, and, and these people described here, they're in a desperate situation, and in the context, it's seemingly no fault of their own, right? At least it's not mentioned. They might have, maybe should, have, should not have gone that route or whatever, but it's not mentioned here that, they, that anybody was at fault. They just found themselves helpless in a storm. Now, I say no fault relatively. We all, you know, nobody's really innocent, right? We're all sinners, um, but it would appear that their bad choices did not cause this difficulty in their lives. Now, I can think of two examples of this in the Bible. One is in the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah made some bad decisions. And the storm that we see in Jonah, he, he was the cause of God sending that storm. But the sailors that were transporting him, they thought they were taking him to Tarshish. They didn't get quite that far, right? Or he didn't. They probably did. Um, but the sailors, they were just, you know, it wasn't, they didn't bring the storm. Jonah did. But these guys, these sailors um, were uh, kind of the innocent victims here. And they were feeling pretty helpless. And you remember what happened? The sailors, they started out, they said, hey, you guys, everybody just pray to your, to your own God. They were praying to false gods. By the end of that experience, and when Jonah had to leave... <laughs> They were then crying out to the true God. Did you notice that in Jonah? And so God used that redemptively in the lives of those sailors as well, those pagan sailors. Helpless. The end of themselves. Now, first crying out to uh, false gods, now they're crying out to the true God. And see, so God will put us in a helpless circumstance. He'll put lost people in that so they'll realize their need for salvation. They'll say, oh, Lord, I need you. I need you. And not just, I don't just need you to get me out of this mess. I need you for my eternal salvation. And they'll start really thinking uh, beyond this life, which is so short. Lord, I need, I need the gospel of Christ. I need the Christ of the gospel. Those sailors in Jonah, they were um, made aware of their need for salvation. Another storm that probably came to your mind, though, and, and this happens a few times in the New Testament with the disciples, right? Jesus purposely says, he's looking at the weather. He knows, he knows exactly what's going to happen. He says, yeah, guys, it's time to get in the boat. I'll, I'll come later. <laughs> You guys, you guys, see how, see how well you can fare without me in the boat. You know, I'll, I'll meet you later, but I, I, there's something here you need to learn. And, you know, Peter's experienced fisherman. He's looking up and saying, well, it looks okay. Gets out in the middle, and the storm comes out of nowhere. And a lot of times that's what happens on the Sea of Galilee. These, storm de these storms develop rapidly. Now, these guys, at least 11 of the 12, were already redeemed, already Christians, right? So uh, it's not that this storm is, is bringing them to the... 
their need of salvation. But the storm that we go through as Christians is to show us our need for maturity, our need for growth, our need, you know, their view of Christ wasn't high enough, right? I mean, he comes walking out in the storm to them and, and, and they're surprised by that. What manner of man is this? Their view of Christ needed to go way up. They need to really see more about him, learn more about him. So Christian, when you're going through a trial and you are helpless, it is so that you will look up. Amen? And we can grow that way, and it's the only way we will ever grow in Christian maturity is if we keep looking up. And by the way, I'm not just talking about during, during the valley time. I'm talking about when things get great and you're on the mountaintop. Keep looking up. Amen? Never get your eyes on yourself or anybody else but Jesus. Amen? Look away unto him. And there may be somebody here. We're almost done uh, this morning, but there may be somebody here that's feeling helpless. You say, well, you know, I, I really couldn't identify with, with the other three heart attitudes. And that's good. I mean, if you say, oh, I'm not really wandering, I'm not being rebellious, I'm not being foolish, but I do, in my life, I have this, this sense of helplessness. And you're without Christ today. There's a reason why you have that feeling on the inside. There's a reason why that emptiness is there. Only God can meet that need. And you try to do other things, well, maybe I'll try this or maybe I'll do this, and, and you're still not satisfied. Because only Jesus will satisfy that deep need. You're feeling that helplessness. Um, I think we can all identify with this one, though. A saved or lost. I think we can all, in measure, identify with that feeling of helplessness. It's been said that you're either in one of three places. You're either in a trial, right now, in a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into a trial. <laughs> right? One of those three places in our lives, for our whole lives, this side of glory, that's the way it's going to be. And the trials, every time, it's for the same purpose, to bring us to the end of ourselves. So we would say something like what verse 28 says. Go to verse 28. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. This is something, verse 32, we should be able to enter into right now this morning. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Amen. Now, we've talked about these four different um, conditions, four different heart attitudes, I guess you could say. We've talked about the wanderers, the rebellious, the foolish, and the helpless. Do you notice how these can overlap? You can have a couple of these going on at the same time, couldn't you? Um, well, if this has hit anybody, I, I can tell you that what helped these people in this psalm will help you. The God that helped them wants to help you, wants to deliver you. Uh, and what you need, what they needed, what we all need, jump down to the last verse in the psalm. Go to verse 43. Whoso is wise... And will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. I'm going to ask Kenny to come and Amelia. And there's one more passage as they're coming. There's one more passage I'm going to read to you in closing. But uh, we're going to sing the first and the last stanza of Praise Him. I really believe the Lord is, is working that in our church today. Just a really hearty amen and a hearty time of praise. And, and I hope that continues on right into the week. Um, but I want to read to you these closing verses from uh, Matthew 11, 
Just listen to these verses and kind of draw these back in your mind and in your heart to what we saw in Psalm 107. So it says, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Let's praise him for who he is.